Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast. Conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Hello, my name is Cindy Ann Thomas. I'm a principal with Littler and a co-chair of our firm's EEO and Diversity and Inclusion Practice Group. I partner with our clients in the diversity and inclusion space with a focus on advising on as well as developing and providing legally compliant training and education initiatives. Organizations committed to diversity have been grappling for years with how to successfully combat declines or low visibility in the number of females and people of color in their ranks. For instance, there have only been about 15 black CEOs in the history of the Fortune 500, of whom five are currently in the role. Women make up only 5% of CEOs at Fortune 500 companies, hold less than 25% of management roles, and just less than 19% of board roles globally. In response to statistics like these, a number of trailblazing corporations, particularly in the technology sector, have begun to tackle culture with cash. They are incentivizing company leaders to obtain diversity goals with performance bonuses. Well, the word is now out about the modest success associated with such incentives, and smaller companies are now experimenting with it. And for as many opportunities that are now being cultivated with the promise of bounty in the mix, these diversity initiatives are not without a few challenges of which organizations should at least be aware. To assist you with this awareness, I have with me Gavin Appleby, a colleague of mine in our Atlanta office, where he is a veteran shareholder. Gavin is also a member of our Diversity and Inclusion Service Solutions Group. Gavin, thank you for joining me in what will hopefully be an enlightening conversation for our listeners. Delighted to be involved. Very much appreciate the opportunity to talk about these. They are they're important items. There's just no question about that. It's, we all know DNI has been around for a long time, but the reality is that some improvement has occurred, but but not consistent improvement, and it's gotten to the point where some companies are getting pressure on them to do better, which is not a bad thing. And it's been an interesting situation to see how it's kind of driven to these potential bonuses. Basically, some a lot of companies are doing is they're doing it to one, it's the right thing. Secondly, it helps with the organization's branding, especially if you're a Silicon Valley employer or a multinational where there's a lot more pressure to come. So talk to us about some of these techniques, Gavin. Well, so basically, let's talk about why the techniques first, and that is results follow money is the reality. And the reality <laughs> is, it's true, and the reality is in the DNI world that we've been doing the right things for a good while. But to go back to your numbers, Indian, uh, the reality is the numbers haven't hit, particularly as you move up into the C-suite. And so bottom line, uh, there's a number of people out there at higher level positions, uh, often male CEOs, often white male CEOs, who are looking at this and saying diversity is something we do need. And that pressure is coming, as I said, from brand names because there's criticism. Particularly, everybody's seen, I think, one of the things on the, some of the Silicon Valley folks where the percentages were so white and so male and just so out there that somebody had to do something. And these CEOs are getting it, and they're getting the pressure that's on their brand. They don't want to look bad. And for companies that may be focused in somewhere else other than U.S., I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there's a big push in Europe 
on the diversity side. And there's some pressure for sure on companies that are housed there but also operating in the U.S., with the only problem being the U.S. is a little more legally complicated. Absolutely. And before we go across the pond, uh, for this country, those techniques, Gavin, are they hiring bonuses? Are they retention bonuses? There's a little bit of everything going on. There's, uh, I'd say hiring bonuses is a hot item right now with the issue of saying, look, follow the money, like we said. And if you do this, you will get a reasonable bonus for it. Uh, ultimately, the retention bonuses really should be there, but that's so far a rarity because the problem, of course, is you can bring everybody in you want to bring them in, but if you lose them six months later or a year later, you haven't really achieved very much. The real question is, where should the bonuses be from a legal perspective? Uh, because that is, I think, the biggest issue to me. Absolutely. And before we unpack those legal components, Gavin, talk to us about what kind of money is involved. What are the ranges of these bonuses? That's a great question uh, and one that's um, frankly not very easy to answer. The long story short is that most of them are being fed into an overall performance bonus, so it's hard to say exactly what component they are. There are definitely some that are diversity bonuses in and of themselves. Those seem to be relatively small, uh, but again, these are people typically we're trying to reach out to managers, directors, and even uh, people in the C-suite. And the bottom line is, if you wrap it into their general bonus, um, I, I think that's okay. Cause they, I will tell you, people really do look at their bonuses and look to see what they can do to increase them. And the fact that the diversity is in there is, a, is, a, is an important part of that. Is that commingling a, a deliberate strategy? That co-mingling I don't think is a deliberate strategy, but I would make it that way if a client called me because the diversity <laughs> bonus in and of itself is, is more dangerous legally. There's no question about that. Mingling it in I think has uh, – I still think it makes a difference because people are very aware of what makes their bonus go up or down. But having said that, if you could mingle it in, it doesn't have anywhere near the potential legal – the legal risk is still there, but it's not there Absolutely. to the same significant number. That is why I asked. Now, arguably, targets can yield results, but aren't there some dysfunctional behaviors amongst leadership members that can result from these programs and that companies need to at least be mindful of? Yeah, so here's the bottom part of the law. We've been kind of talking around it, but haven't talked at it yet. And it's an interesting situation because, in effect, in the U.S., we've passed civil rights laws, and most importantly, back in 1964. But the reality is what they say is you can't discriminate based upon things like race. And so ultimately, the old quote-unquote reverse discrimination claim is still out there potentially. And the problem being, uh, if you're recruiting for diversity, we define diversity for recruiting purposes as minority or as gender. And the result of that is when someone says, you will get a bonus for hiring more people of color, in effect, that is a potential violation of Title VII in and of itself, no matter how well-intended it is. And so sure. the result of that is there's risk, and I think that's why we're being so careful with this. But at the same time, we really want to do this, and so you've you got to figure <laughs> out where you are in that status. Has the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission specifically weighed in on this issue? Not so much directly, but there's no question in my mind that they're in favor uh, we've, although strangely enough, we have some, seen some cases coming out of the EEOC and, frankly, the OSCCP from that perspective. 
that does support um, the reverse discrimination claim. I, I did an OSCCB audit fairly recently where they found that white males were being affected negatively in, in regard to pay. You, you would never imagine that in real life, but it's, it, was, it was the healthcare environment, and, and healthcare women tend to do well. So they, they did take this odd approach of saying you've got to do better with your white males. Generally, though, those organizations are going to support what we're trying to accomplish. I, I think they see it as important, and I think they do see diversity is a very good way to try to combat discrimination because it pushes for the right, right sites and the right analysis. Are companies playing some version of Russian roulette here and opting their <laughs> on the side of promoting their brand over the risk of a legal challenge? They definitely could be. And I hate to say a Russian roulette. That sounds horrible. <laughs> but I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, there's risk. There's there's no question there's risk. Uh, the reality is that if you say you are going to get a bonus for this, and that means if you hire X number of people in X or Y category, then more money comes your direction. That, in some sense, given our Title VII, which goes in all directions, it's not in favor of one group or another, just says you can't discriminate. If you're getting a hiring bonus and that causes you to hire a female over a male and you did it to get that bonus, um, technically that's probably a violation of the law. Having said that, is it a risk worth taking to increase your diversity at the top level? That's what's really going on right now is right. what the risk is and which way you go in the risk. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the tricky balancing act that exists for multinational corporations with operations in countries in the EU and Australia and Japan, where these tactics don't pose much of a problem at all. But in light right. of some of our laws and some of the developing jurisprudence on the issue of quotas and targets in this country, it's, it's a little trickier for them. It's trickier for them because they're not used to playing in that, that market, uh, at least not this issue in that market. They can push for diversity. Uh, the European side is, is a very interesting one to me because they've they've really done it as by following the, uh, the ILO type stuff that comes out of the UN. And, and that stuff is important, and it's really laid out fairly well. And there's pressure on uh, European for, companies Gavin, to not so, do that. Gavin, sorry, for, our, for the benefit of our listeners, the ILO? Oh, no, sorry, no problem at all. I should have explained that. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the UN's branch of the labor side. It's the group that's out there pushing for doing certain things in regard to employment matters. And in this case, the the ILO is is one of the ones that's pushing the envelope, saying we need fairness, we need diversity, we need to ensure that. And gender, by the way, is where they're really pushing. But they're also pushing on on people of color issues as well. But they're really up in arms relative to let's look at that gender gap, let's try to fix that gap, or let's look the, at the boardroom. There's nobody in there who happens to be female. So, so they're diving in, and the companies in the EU are, are putting out initiatives that are worldwide initiatives, which is all great until you hit the U.S. And when you hit the U.S., suddenly it's that law sitting there in your face saying, even if you're well-intended, even if you're trying to do the right thing, even if you think you need more people in whatever category it is, um, if you actually then say, I am going to put more people in this particular job who are female, or I'm going to put more people in that particular job who happen to be African-American, the minute you say that, in effect, you are admitting that you're basically going to discriminate. So it's a difficult Absolutely. situation. 
Try to explain that, by the way, to people who don't live in the U.S. is very interesting, (laughs) which I I totally get. (laughs) Right. Now, for people in the U.S., where do they go wrong, Gavin? How are they pushing the legal envelope with some of these initiatives? Uh, Absolutely great question, uh, because they really think they're doing the right thing, and they are doing the right thing. So that's putting that aside for a second. How do you do the right thing and still not get a real problem under the law? And the answer is you may not be able to do it directly. Uh, Let's go back to diversity from the standpoint of recruiting, which we've been trying to do for years. Someone calls you or calls me and says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to hold the next four positions we have in sales managers, and we're only going to put people of color in those four positions. That's a problem. That's totally a problem, and that's going to get you in trouble. (laughs) But if you do something slightly different from that, which is to say, I need to get more candidates of a diverse nature into these potential positions to do that, I am going to go out. I'm going to recruit in the right places. Uh, I need more Asians. Um, I'm going to go to Cal Berkeley. I'm going to go to Cal Irvine. I'm going to get more people of quality from that background into this pool so that my chances of having someone who has that background be selected go up dramatically. There's definitely a way to do it. It's just not as easy as saying, I'm going to hold this job for an X, Y, Z. One thought, by the way, in that whole thing, and this is an older case, but it's a great case to look at. The Fifth Circuit, a number of years ago, decided a case involving an employer that was actually really trying to do the right thing prior to kind of where we are at diversity right now. Well, it was really in the old days, diversity was just kind of getting to start, but someone decided, we're going to get into that field, we're going to try to do the right thing, but then they made an error. They basically said, what we're going to do is higher based upon the demographics of whatever neighborhood we happen to have a location in. So for in Dallas, we're going to be this percentage. If we're in Atlanta, we're going to be this percentage. And, and all that sounds really wonderful, but what that meant yeah. is they were hiring specifically, you know, based not based on skills necessarily, but based on what they had to do to keep that balance out there. And the Fifth Circuit jumped all over them for that. It's hard, actually. You want to do it the right way, but you can't push too hard. you got to kind of sort of get around the edges. But you can still get there. You just have to do it in the right way. And some of those less risky techniques that companies can use to incentivize their leaders to obtain diversity aspirations include variations of the Rooney Rule yep, or all-employee referral hiring practices. Yeah, let me throw out a couple. I love the Rooney Rule that you brought up. Uh, it's uh, it, For those who don't know about it, that's what the NFL did in regard to coaches because they obviously have a fairly high number of African-American players, but they had very, very few coaches who were African-American, particularly a head coach. So the Rooney Rule, uh, put in by Art Rooney, who was uh, the, the, the head of the Steelers, um, ultimately what he said is, at a minimum, we're going to at least have people – get the chance. And so the rule is you can't hire a coach without having considered at least one African-American candidate. Uh, It makes sense because it at least puts it into the hiring mode of a potential. It doesn't require that that person be chosen. I think it's totally legal. Whether it's really worked is a different issue because the stats I've looked at from the NFL suggest that it's helped some, but it really hasn't helped more than some. 
But right. a couple other things. Let me jump in on a couple of the other ones that are out there so people have a better feel for what's really going on. The Please. hardest one to defend for me is when the, the hiring manager gets a bonus because you're now incentivizing them to use discriminatory tactics, even if they're well-intended. The better one to me would be something like giving recruiters incentives, because that's a different one. They're not making decisions as to who actually get hired. They are making decisions as to who's going to be in the field of people that get hired. But if you have a bonus for a recruiter to have a more diverse candidate pool, I think your risk on that is really low. If you have a requirement for a manager, guess what? (laughs) The risk goes up pretty dramatically. So those are the kind of things we need to be doing. We also need to be doing for affinity groups and companies that have those. My best examples of what good affinity groups do other than things like, um, you know, that they're, they're there for friendship, they're there for compatibility, they're there for mentoring, but they should also be there to help with the recruiting process. Because yes. people are hooked into good candidates, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Great point. So there's lots so, of options. We just have to think through them. But the one that I, I can tell you what happens, and this is – it's funny in a way. It's its legitimate in a way, but it doesn't work in a way. And that is the CEO finally gets on board and says, we are going to push diversity. We need to. It's the right thing to do. But what CEOs live on are things like KPIs and other number-driven data. So they immediately want to know what percentage of African-Americans that we hired this year, what percentage of Asian-Americans, what percentage of females. And if those percentages are met, then you're not going to get a bonus. And But the problem right. is the minute you turn it into all numbers, that's probably your worst-case scenario in terms of defending these situations. Very, very useful to our listeners. They're on the edge of their seat, Gavin. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> well, they should no, but, be because we don't want to get sued. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So besides the obvious obligation of making sure that they consult counsel before developing and implementing these initiatives, clearly, outline for our listeners three things, just three things that a company can do to best minimize the risk associated with implementing these types of uh, bonuses. Uh, well, well said, and a great question. And I think there are there's probably not just three. There's probably twenty things. But let me give you three. And the <laughs> most important sounds silly, by the way. Plan carefully, <laughs> because this is I mean, the classic part of this analysis. And I am, uh, as Cindy knows, a huge supporter of diversity. I think it's incredibly <laughs> yeah. helpful as a business model. But you look there and say, okay, that's it. We're going to push. We're going to get more, you know, diversity in this analysis. Jump in. Here's what you're going to do today. No, plan carefully and get some legal help because there are definitely landmines out there, and they can be gotten around with limited risk. For what it's worth, and I'll jump back to your question in a second, Cindy Ann, but the issue that you run into of how much risk is it worth, and the answer is if you're really trying to get diversity, and particularly if you have a brand name, it's worth taking the risk or at least considering the risk because the benefit you're going to get is probably greater than the risk that you're taking. We don't get that many cases of reverse discrimination. It's fairly rare. That said, when they come, they're problematic, and they often Mm -hmm. lead to fairly significant damage to the company. So plan, 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 plan. That's number one. Two, don't, don't track the numbers unless you're a federal contractor. If you're a federal contractor, you have to track those numbers anyway, and that's actually an advantage in this kind of situation. But if you're not a federal contractor, I would push 
for getting stuff done. I would be aware of whether it's making a difference, but to really track the numbers in infinite detail is probably setting up a bad situation for you. That That is tough for the mm-hmm. metric-oriented, as you know, Gavin, but and that is a great numbers. point. Yes, <laughs> yes. Totally agreed. So I think number you can three. do it. Just don't go nuts. <laughs> yes, yes. And then number three? Number three is uh, we still need training on diversity. And uh, in this instance, we need very specific training. If you're going to start incentivizing recruiters, you need to help them with that. I can tell you most of them, they're aware of diversity. They may have pushed from time to time. But I want people who are trying to push the right buttons, trying to understand how they get the right candidates. For example, I think recruiters' interactions with affinity groups is sometimes in some companies zero, and that shouldn't be happening. That needs to be connected. And so from that perspective, train people not just about non-discrimination, but about essential and effective uses of tools that we had that would increase our diversity. So of the 20 things that a company can do to best minimize risk, we have, number one, plan carefully. Number two, don't track the numbers unless you're a federal contractor. And number three, train, train, train. That's exactly right. I think that's if you had those three out there, your chances of liability go down fairly significantly. And then talk to us about numbers four through 20. <laughs> well, let's talk about one thing we haven't talked to them about that I know is a big thing yeah. of yours, and it should be a big thing of yours, and that is a culture of acceptance, uh, a culture yeah. of understanding. And one of the things you asked, which I thought was one of the best questions we've talked through so far, but I didn't get much, I didn't give you much of a response on it, was a, having a culture of acceptance because going to all this work, getting all those numbers, doing the right things, increasing your diversity but never addressing the issue of what happens then is a real problem. We don't want to lose these Absolutely. And you can't possibly successfully tackle culture with cash and get the numbers right if you haven't examined your performance review and promotional processes or the rewards and recognition systems or the flex time and family leave policies, right? Well, one of the first things we get when we talk about acceptance is you're sitting there typically talking to people in the you know, middle to lower rungs of the company. And we want D&I. We want to do this right. Uh, here's your role in all this. But those people are looking up to the C-suite and saying, I'm seeing 17 white males and one female and nobody is of color. Uh, ultimately, you've got to show that there's a culture and you've got to show it at the higher levels. You've got to show it at the board level. But without that and without the training as to getting people to, to accept diversity and, and not battle the issue, uh, those kind of things are huge. And without those things, I don't think you can get as far as you need to get relative to this issue. So acceptance and actual systems and practices as opposed to policies, all of that, very important in making sure that these diversity bonus schemes actually work. Absolutely right. And I think if if anyone called you and me and we could talk them through the options, I really do believe there's a difference make to come out that whole thing. I, I really do believe without putting yourself at much risk, you can increase your diversity levels in an appropriate manner without much legal risk. There's always going to be some risk, but I think you can actually get around that if you do the right thing, plan the right thing, and have a design as to what you're trying to accomplish. Gavin Appleby, my learned colleague from our Littler office in Atlanta, where he is a shareholder. Gavin, thank you for taking the time to dialogue around this very important issue. 
delighted to be part of it. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please feel free to reach out to us at podcast at littler.com. If you should have any questions about this episode, or if you would like to discuss any component of your organization's needs with me or Gavin or another Littler attorney, thanks for listening. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.